We'll finish up our discussion of divorce and marriage uh, today from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. Okay, let's uh, bow together in prayer and we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we just come before you with, with uh, the desire that all of our lives be all that they can be for you. All that you want to build into us, all the truth you want to build into us, all the walk that pleases you. We thank you. We thank you that you've given us all the tools we need. We have your Holy Spirit who lives within us. We have your word, your written word that you use in our lives to teach us, to give us the content of our teaching, to correct us, to turn us around when we're going in the wrong direction, and to prepare us to minister to those around us, prepare us to serve you. We thank you for that. We also thank you for the salvation that you have provided to each of us by simply putting our trust in Jesus and his finished work at Calvary, where he took our sin upon himself, where he died in our place, where he took our death so that we might have the hope of eternal life by simply putting our trust in him, not in religion, not in religious ritual, but in Jesus alone. As is always our prayer, Lord, if there has been anyone here in the first service or is here in this service who has yet to trust Jesus as their Savior, we pray that they would realize that this is the moment, this is the day of salvation and not put it off any longer. Also, Lord, we want to pray for your people, Israel. They are under attack, Lord, across this world. So few friends. But anybody who is a believer in Christ, anybody who knows the scripture knows that we must befriend Israel. We pray for Israel's victory in what's happening right now. Now, Father, we also pray that they might come to know their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, guide us as we study your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One writer said kind of tongue-in-cheek, in every marriage more than a week old, there are grounds for divorce. The trick is, the writer goes on to say, is to find and continue to find grounds for marriage. What basically the writer is observing, uh, and I don't know uh, whether the writer understood this as, as they wrote this, a little saying, uh, but we have a sin nature. Every one of us is born with a sin nature, and the essence of that sin nature is selfishness. Selfishness. We want our way. We want our way in whatever relationship it is, and in particularly in the closest of all human relationships, that is the relationship of marriage. Because of that sin nature, I think that Though this was said tongue-in-cheek, in every marriage more than a week older are grounds for divorce. The trick is to find and continue to find grounds for marriage. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do 
through these couple of weeks that we've looked at what uh, Jesus said about divorce in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're trying to look at that and remember that Jesus turned the conversation from divorce to marriage. So we've been trying to take some time to build the grounds for marriage, the grounds for a great marriage for the people of our church and uh, some tools uh, that will help every one of us uh, in marriage or who is looking forward to marriage, uh, tools that will help us to build the kind of relationship God desires. In a recent Daily Bread, the author said this, I was so excited to plant our backyard fruit and veggie garden. Then I started to notice small holes in the dirt. Before it had time to ripen, our first fruit mysteriously disappeared. One day I was dismayed to find our largest strawberry plant had been completely uprooted by a nesting rabbit and scorched to a crisp by the sun. I wished I'd paid closer attention to the warning, warning signs. And then the writer goes on to say, the beautiful love poem in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, records a conversation between a young man and woman. While calling to his darling, the man sternly warned against animals who would tear apart the lover's garden, a metaphor for their relationship. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, he said. Perhaps he saw hints of foxes that could ruin their romance, like jealousy, anger, deceit, or apathy. Because he delighted in the beauty of his bride, he wouldn't tolerate the presence of anything unwholesome. She was as precious as a lily among thorns to him. He was willing to put in the work to guard their relationship. Now, there's a couple of things here that stood out to me. One is, in, in uh, describing the garden, the writer said, I wish I'd paid closer attention to the warning signs. And then later says, are we willing to put into the, the work to guard our relationship? Those are two great statements. Those are two great statements. Pay attention to the warning signs. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to building our marriages. Pay attention to those things. Are we willing to put in the work to guard our relationship? And so we're going to look at some things this morning as we try to conclude this section. As I said, uh, Jesus turned the discussion from divorce to marriage. And so we're going to turn uh, also just uh, summarize his teaching on divorce and then talk about marriage and how to build our marriages. Um, I mentioned to you that I was going to uh, talk with Steve and Chris and Adam and see what books they recommend that you might profit by and that we all might profit by uh, about marriage. Uh, let me share those with you. Uh, these are the books that they mentioned. The Power of a Praying Husband. The Power of a Praying Husband. And then its companion volume, The Power of a Praying Wife. The Power of a Praying Wife. Uh, the next book that was recommended was Paul David Tripp's book, What Did You Expect? 
redeeming the realities of marriage. What did you expect? Redeeming the realities of marriage. I have been sharing with you, and I will share a little bit today again, from the book, How to Live with Them Since You Can't Live Without Them, by Roger and Becky Tirabasi, which also, by the way, was published later under another title, Let Love Change Your Life. Both are the same exact book, uh, just different titles. Uh, another book that I doubt you'll be able to find, but let me tell you about it anyhow. Uh, it's an older book, and it's entitled Becoming One by Don Meredith. Now, please understand, it's not Dandy Don Meredith from Monday Night Football. How many of you remember Dandy Don? Yeah, a few of you. There were a lot in the first service, but a few of you remember Dandy Don. That's not the one. It's not that Don Meredith. It's a different one. And he wrote this book entitled Becoming One, and it is a really good book if you can find it. I, I wouldn't pay $50 for it, just so you know. But it's worth having for less. Uh, Willard Harley's book, His Needs, Her Needs. Dr. Ed Wheat's book, Intended for Pleasure. Linda Dillow's book, Intimate Issues. The last two books have to do with the physical relationship, sexual relationship and marriage. And so those are, those are some uh, books that are recommended by uh, Steve and Chris and Adam and myself. Um, let me mention one other resource, and then we'll get into what we have to study this morning. Uh, and that is we have a number of series on our website of messages if you uh, care to follow through with any of the things we have been talking about, uh, there's a series called God's Design for Marriage. It's a 2007 series. It is on our website. And then later, uh, it was reprised six years later in 2013 in a much larger format. It uh, took twice as many Sundays to cover the topic. It's also called God's Design for Marriage. So there's a 2007 and a 2013 version. Uh, last year, uh, Steve and Chris and myself did a Marriage 101 series that's also available on the website. And lastly, in 2002, believe it or not, it's still on the website after all these years. 2002, there's, there was a series called The Priorities of the Christian Home. So those are, those are some... Uh, resources that might be helpful in books and in messages uh, to you. Now, I thought the place I should start is with a summary of what I'm going to say, because I may not have a chance to give you the summary at the end of the message, because <laughs> I'll run out of time. So I thought I'll start at the end and work our way to the beginning. Here, here is the summary. Seven things that uh, I think summarizes what we have been saying and what we are going to be saying today. Uh, seven things, they're, they're the seven B's. Uh, maybe that's how you can remember them, the seven B's. Uh, okay, number one, uh, to build your marriage, be filled. Be filled. And that's based on Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse, verses 18 and following. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, tells us not to be drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And that basically means simply this. It means to be controlled by the Spirit, to yield control to, of your life to the Spirit of God, to yield control of your thoughts to the Spirit of God, to yield control of your relationships to the Spirit of God, to yield control of your thoughts and words, uh, what you see to the Spirit of God. It's called being filled with the Spirit. just simply means to be controlled by the Spirit, or I actually prefer the word to be dominated by the Spirit. I mean, if I'm going to be dominated by anything in life, wow, the Holy Spirit dominating me would be awesome. So be filled, Ephesians 5, 18 and following. And, and the interesting thing is, and I'll, I'll say one more thing about this, uh, in the context of Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, he follows up, Paul follows up with what evidences will there, will there be that you are under the control of the Spirit. And guess where he begins? With marriage and family. With marriage and family. That's where uh, Paul says in, in this passage in Ephesians 5 that it's going to be seen whether you and I are under the control of the Spirit or not. The second B is this, be forgiving. Be forgiving. No one's going to get through marriage without having a forgiving heart, without being forgiving to their mate, without being forgiven. Uh, forgiveness is such an important Thing. Ephesians 4.32 talks about that. Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Well, tell me, how has he forgiven us? Anybody? He's forgiven us completely. He's forgiven us completely. He's forgiven us all of our sin. Wow. That's amazing. He's forgiven us all the ways we have failed Him, all the ways we've turned our backs on Him, all the ways we've turned away from Him. He has forgiven them. Surely we can exercise a little forgiveness in our marriages. Most important relationship we will have in our lives. So forgive as Christ has forgiven us. The third B is be forgetful. Now, Listen, I hope you haven't checked out yet. Be forgetful. I don't mean forget your wife or husband's anniversary, your anniversary. I don't mean forget your wife or husband's birthday. How many of us have done that? Uh, I'm ashamed of myself. I'll tell a story on myself. I didn't think about this before. But uh, Kathy and I, and, and uh, I don't know if we had both boys at that time or just Aunt, uh, Tim, but uh, we were traveling from Eureka, uh, from uh, uh, Mount Nebo in Arkansas. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. It's a beautiful plateau that overlooks the Arkansas landscape, and it's just beautiful. We were packing the car, and you know, that's always, a, if, if driving together is a challenge, packing the car is another challenge for marriages. And we're packing the car to go from Mount Nebo to go to Eureka Springs, Texas, which is a great little town. And we got into it for some reason, and I was a jerk like usual. And uh, so it's about a four-hour ride, and guess what? There was silence in our car for four hours. You know what I'm talking about? You, you do, come on. I know you do. 
Don't kid me. There was silence for four hours. We got to Eureka Springs. We stopped for gas at a gas station. And while I was paying the bill, I looked up on the wall and there was a calendar. It was Kathy's birthday. I thought, oh boy, what a jerk I am. Well, I made it up. I took her out to dinner, but I don't think that that was enough. So I don't mean forget birthdays. I don't mean forget anniversaries, important dates. What I mean is be forgetful about keeping a record of wrongs. You know, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. I am appalled over the years of doing ministry and the years of doing counseling and how many people can remember the way their mate wronged them 25 years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Things that should have been covered long ago are still issues. So be forgetful. Exercise a little grace toward your mate in overlooking and keeping no record of wrongs. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. And by the way, the bonus there is that it's a great, there's a great description of love there. A great description of love. So be filled with the Spirit. Be forgiving. Be forgetful. I couldn't think of an F word for this next one. So I have C. Be committed. Be committed. Ephesians 5.33, Paul summarizes his teaching on marriage by reminding men that you ought to love your wives and wives that they ought to respect their husbands. So be committed to love. Be committed to respect. Be committed to your mate. Also, Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, we read this, So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Be committed to each other. Be committed to each other. Number five, be faithful. Be faithful. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be faithful to your mate. Number six. Uh, and by the way, that's in mind and body, both. In mind and body, the mind is a great battlefield, for, especially for men. Be careful about that. Be faithful. Uh, number six, be available. Be available. Make yourself available uh, in, by your physical presence. Make yourself available by offering your body to your mate. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says. 1 Corinthians 7 says that our bodies do not belong to ourselves, but they belong to our mate. So be available. Uh, Song of Solomon, which uh, the quote I just used a little bit ago was about, Song of Solomon uh, details that the uh, love relationship in marriage uh, in Song of Solomon. So be available in physically, be available in mind, be available in body to your mate. Number seven, be communicating. 
be communicating. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12 is a great passage about communication. A great passage about communication. And the essence of this, and I wish we could turn to all these passages, but the essence of what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12 is return a blessing for an insult. Return a blessing for an insult. Now, you know what I'm talking about. It usually happens the other way around, right? We return an insult for an insult. We don't return a blessing. If you are hurt by the st and stung by the words of your mate, your tendency is not to offer them a blessing. Your tendency is to hurt them greater than they hurt you. And then, of course, they may not be aware that they hurt you so deeply with their words, so, but now they're hurt, so they have to do what? Hurt you back. And on and on and on and on. It's called, they have a term for it, it's called escalation. Now, every married couple here, I'm not asking for hands, but every married couple here knows what I'm talking about. And generally it starts with something insignificant. Generally it starts with something insignificant and then it grows and grows and grows and escalates. Now men, I want to call you especially on this particular one about be communicating, be communicating a blessing for an insult. Men, you know, we argue a lot and I'm not going to spend any time talking about roles but we argue a lot about roles in marriage. What is a man's role? What is a woman's role? We argue about what it means to be head of the family. We argue about what submission means. We argue back and forth, and we always miss the point. Men, if you're going to be the head of your family, if you're going to be the head of your family, what that means is that you're going to be the first to stop the escalation. That's what headship means. It's not seen in who makes the rules. It's not seen in who decides what we do. It's not seen in who decides the future. It's seen in that a man stops. Now, I'm not telling you that as somebody who hasn't failed in that area. Boy, it's just so appealing to hurt back when you've been hurt. But I try to remind myself, if I'm going to act as the head of this family, I've got to be the first to forgive. I've got to be the first to stop the escalation and return a blessing for an insult. So be filled with the Spirit. Be forgiving. Be forgetful. Be committed. Be faithful. Be available and be communicating. Seven B's, I'll call it the seven B's of marriage. Well, one writer said, marriage is a partnership. <coughs> Excuse me. According to God's original design, Marriage was a permanent relationship 
and a man was instructed to leave his parents and cling to his wife. In the words of Genesis 2.24, they shall become one flesh. Something of this unity is seen in the word companion or partner, which means joined together, united. It implies harmony, a desire to work together to achieve life's greatest goals while sharing all the hardships, the pain, and the joy. In every sense of the word, husband and wife should be inseparable. You know, that's, <clears throat> that's what's forgotten when divorce enters the picture. What is forgotten and what is left behind is what you share with another human being. Um, no one knows my fears or my sorrows or my foibles or my joys or my secrets or my failures like Kathy does. No one. She knows them all. And you know, as I, as I, I think about and I, I talk about these things and talk about marriage, I'm, I hope I'm not doing it with some kind of distance because I feel very, very, uh, uh, that this is very important. Because I'd like you to see it from my vantage point. I look over at the couch on an evening when we're watching TV together. And I see Kathy there. And I say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me one more day. No one knows me like she does. We share two sons. We share four, five grandchildren. <laughs> I'll get it right. We've shared ups. We've shared downs. We've shared challenges. We've shared heartbreaks. And we've shared joys. Those mean something. They mean something but so many are willing to throw them away because they think their life can be better with someone else or better if they leave that other person behind. If you have time this week, think about what you share with your mate. Think about the things that you share Well, one writer said, or recorded, his name is Dr. Steve Stevens. I wonder why his parents gave him two first names. Uh, things like that interest me. But at any rate, Dr. Steve Stevens of Western Seminary says this, 10 reasons why divorce isn't the answer. 10 reasons why divorce isn't the answer. It rarely solves the problem. It is a financial disaster. It blocks personal growth and maturity. It sets you both up to repeat your difficulty with someone else. It hardens your heart, weakens your faith, increases your loneliness, 
devastates your children, hurts friends and relatives, and number 10, it impacts your legacy. It impacts your legacy. Well, how do we keep this oneness that we're talking about, this partnership? How do we keep this? Well, in the book I mentioned earlier by Don Meredith, entitled Becoming One, he talks about the path to oneness. He, sees, he makes the point that oneness was lost in the fall. The fall in Genesis 3, when we turned our backs upon God, the fall uh, caused separation. We became separated from God. We became separated from other people because the heart of death, God said that the moment you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And the process of death became, began immediately in their bodies the moment they ate of the fruit. And the essence of the fall is separation from each other and separation from God. Well, he said oneness was lost in the fall, but how can it be regained? He said it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ, of course begins with becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, putting our faith in Him, being obedient to Him. And then he mentions some basic assumptions and some basic biblical rules for us to follow. The first assumption is this. Our mate is God's provision for our aloneness needs. You see, that's the example of Genesis 2 when, when God made, uh, had Adam uh, name all the animals. The reason he did that is not because Adam had time on his hands and nothing to do. The reason is because he wanted to show Adam his aloneness. And he wanted to show Adam that he could meet his aloneness needs. Now, how did God meet Adam's aloneness needs? Don't be afraid. It's not a trick question. Uh, you don't have to pass a test to get out of here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how did he do it? He created Eve. He created Eve to take care of his aloneness needs. Your mate is God's provision for your aloneness needs. Your mate is God's provision for your aloneness needs. Number two, realize that God's only agent for change is agape love. What is agape love? It's unconditional love. It's committed love. That is the only, that is the only agent for change. Number three, realize that God uses our mate's weaknesses to perfect our character. God uses our mate's weaknesses to perfect our character. Number three, realize that God uses our mate's weaknesses to perfect our character. And number four, our mate's weaknesses are an opportunity for us to be needed. Our mate's weaknesses are an opportunity for us to be needed. Then he mentions four things to do. Number one, receive your mate as from God. God's unique provision to you, weaknesses and all. Unfortunately, the fall brought about blame instead of acceptance. Number two, most people see their mate's weaknesses as a chance to change them, improve them. By the way, your mate isn't a fixer-upper. 
Most people see their mate's weaknesses as a chance to change them or improve them. Marriage is not a makeover opportunity. Marriage is not a makeover opportunity. And number three, accept that your mate's weaknesses are an opportunity to grow, for you to grow. Number four, accept that your mate's weaknesses are an opportunity for you to be needed, for you to be needed. That's the path to oneness. Well, God's intention was that we would, in marriage, have a lifelong union. His desire is that we give forgiveness and we give and we strive for reconciliation. Now, if you have your Bible open, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take just a few moments on Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Um, many people can't understand why did God the Holy Spirit... Whoa, look at how that's... <laughs> Sticking together, I can't get to Genesis 2.25. Many people wonder, why did God the Holy Spirit prompt Moses to record Genesis 2.25, where it says this, uh, right after 24, which is God's definition of marriage, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Verse 25 says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what is that all about? Why did God, the Holy Spirit, prompt Moses to include that? Well, Genesis 2.25 is symbolic of the beauty and the innocence that accompanied the marriage relationship before the fall. There was total transparency and total ease. There was no distrust, no fear, no potential for evil, no potential for exploitation, no defensiveness and no need to win at all costs. That's all that came in because of the fall. Before the fall, those things didn't exist. And verse 25 is meant to explain that. The man and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. There was no need to fear. There was no potential for evil. There was no potential for exploitation. As a result of the judgments which accompanied the fall, married couples would experience a battle for control They'd experience competition and a desire to dominate instead of the cooperation and companionship which God intended. See, later, after the fall, after they partook of the fruit, remember later that God came in the cool of the afternoon into the garden and Adam and Eve hid from him. And God said, why did you hide from me? And Adam said, because we knew we were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? In other words, that was the recognition that because of the fall, because they had disobeyed God, because they had partaken of the fruit that they were told not to, because of that, it changed everything. Now there was distrust. Now there was fear. Now there was potential for evil and exploitation. That's what the fall brought into marriage and into this world. Well, verse, chapter 3 and verse 16 
uh, I won't have time except to just mention this briefly, talks about uh, God's curse upon the ground, upon the man, upon the woman, upon the, the serpent. And he says this, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That is most often misinterpreted. It's most often interpreted somehow as desire, sexual desire. That's not at all what it means. If you look at chapter 4 and you look at verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. There's that word desire. It desires to have you. In other words, the, what, what the, the verse is showing us is that the desire that Eve will have will be a desire to control Adam. And in return, he'll have a desire to control her. There will be a battle for control in the home, and that's a consequence over the, uh, of the fall. Well, the fall brought death to relationships. There's separation and alienation where there was once harmony, and the fall brought fear into relationships. There's so much more we could say, but one more thing, and uh, we'll, we'll finish up so I can give Adam enough time for his devotional the effect of the fall on the marriage relationship cannot be overstated. What was once a relationship of cooperation and harmony and oneness, now because of sin becomes a battle for control, a battle for domination, an epic battle of the sexes. No longer will there be a cooperative reciprocal relationship between husband and wife, but a battle for dominance and control. The fall made existing obligations a pain rather than a pleasure. So for this reason, they suggest this. Number one, make a commitment to stay together and be faithful. Make a commitment to stay together and be faithful. Secondly, the second step to building a great marriage is to pray and worship. Make God the center of your marriage. Build your life and marriage on him. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, that the wise man builds his house on a rock not shifting sand. A house built on a rock will withstand the storms of life, whereas one built on sand is destroyed by these same storms. Too many build their marriages on the shifting sands of looks, sex, money, status, career, instead of on the rock, Jesus Christ and his word. Roger and Becky Tarabasi in the book How to Live With Them Since You Can't Live Without Them suggests the following about how to stay connected to God in your marriage. Their premise is this. As you follow God, you will find each other. It requires a commitment of your time, time for prayer, time for Bible reading, time to respond to God every day, a non-negotiable commitment Couples stay close to God through church attendance. Why attend church? He, they say in the book, to be challenged, <clears throat> to grow spiritually. 
to enjoy fellowship with other believers, to have a chance to use our spiritual gifts in the local body and to be accountable. Couples stay close to God through serving God. Staying connected to God is as much a decision as a skill. The takeaway for them is this, as we have grown closer to God, we have grown closer to each other. Well, there's so much more that could be said, but I need to give Adam his time. Uh, may we take these to heart. May we build these things into our marriage. Um, may we allow God to build our marriages, and may we build them on his word and the rock Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reality of your word, how it speaks to the every important thing in life. If we need direction, Lord, it's right there. We have your word, we have your spirit who indwells us to direct us. We pray for the marriages of DRBC. We pray that they will be built up. We pray that each one of us who is married would choose your way, and those who are not yet married who are looking forward to it will choose your way as well. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.